If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to Romans chapter 12 and Colossians chapter 3. It's funny, you always know that daylight savings is coming up, and so you try to go to bed early, and you know that never happens, because you're always nervous that I set the clock right, all that kind of stuff. My wife got home at, I think it was 1, 1 last night from work, and so she wants to talk about her day, and I'm like, honey, we really got to go to bed. Like, <laughs> this is really like 2.30, we have to go to bed now. And so this morning when I was leaving to come here to set up, I woke her up, and she just cried. She... <laughs> <laughs> is it really seven? I'm like, yeah, it's seven, baby. We gotta, you got to get up and go. And she just cried. So uh, thank you, Daylight Savings Time. Well, uh, it's been really cool. Today we are finishing up our series, It Is Written, which has been one of my favorite series we've actually done uh, in a while. It's just been really incredible to see what God's been doing in it and hearing the feedback from so many people that have been digging into the Bible and really allowing it to come alive to them. People getting excited about reading the Bible. Uh, that's how you know something's happening, that God's up to something, is when people like reading the Bible. Because that's not something that most Christians like to do. Uh, and people that attend church, I think the average Christian reads their Bible about three minutes a week. So uh, you guys, you're doing awesome. And it's been so cool to hear the feedback from that. And it's been a weird series for me because usually I teach the Bible. But this whole series, I haven't really taught the Bible. I've just been telling you guys to read the Bible. And incredible things have been happening from that. Um, and this is the way I think part of that happens, that like that we have for the Bible. Have you ever wondered how that happens? Because I'll be honest with you, when I was a kid, I didn't enjoy reading the Bible. It wasn't, my parents made me do it because I grew up in a Christian home and they wanted me to know the Bible. So I had assignments, I had to read a chapter a day, I think it was, and it was, okay, I got to do this, and then I had to take out the trash. You know, it was kind of on that level for me of the chores that I had to do. But sometimes things change inside of you even though you're not aware that it's happening. When I was a kid, I also, I, mean, I hated country music. And for those of you that are here that love country music, forgive me, have mercy on me. There can still be unity between us. But I liked lots of styles of music, but country music for me was just not one that I could ever enjoy. And as a guitar player, I could enjoy some of what the guitar players are doing, but there's something about the vocals, the twinginess, and the vibrato of it that just drove me insane. And all the lyrics made me feel like I'm listening to the biggest loser on the face of the earth. Every song, I mean, every single guy that sings, you cannot keep a girlfriend, your dog runs away from you, you can't even feed your goldfish right, it ends up dying. So they're just so depressing. And my sister, though, when she turned 16 in 1993, I think it was, she became our school bus because she had her driver's license. So every day we're driving into school with her, and for 15 minutes I had to listen to country on the way there, and for 15 minutes I had to listen to country on the way back home. And this was the worst half hour of my day. And I would beg and I would plead with her. I was like, Jenny, can we please listen to something other than country? And she's like, no, I'm driving so I get to decide. And you can't argue with that. That's just the rules of the road. And <laughs> so I just had to sit there and I'd try to you know, cover my ears and think about Led Zeppelin or something to try to counteract it. And she just kept listening to me. She would sing along with it. So I tried to discourage her because I was such a good Christian brother. I'm like, you're terrible at singing. You, just stop. Your voice is terrible. Why are you doing this? He's like, you're crushing my spirit. Stop. And, I'm, and so I just did everything I could to avoid country music. I'd get home and listen to everything else. Well, after about six months of this, I remember being at home one day, and I'm sitting there, and I'm doing some homework. You know, I'm like doing some quadratic equations or something. I'm just flipping through stuff. And I'm always singing along to something when I'm doing that. And so I'm writing out my formulas. I'm sitting there and I'm going, and there's nothing like the view from the cheap seats. And I'm like, what just happened? That was an Alabama song. 
God, forgive me. I didn't even know what was happening. And so I'm starting to have an identity crisis. Like, what's going on? Why was I singing that song? Where did that come from? Like, the contents of my heart have been exposed. And I'm like, okay, well, that was a one-time sin. I'll never do it again. And so <laughs> someone's really upset. But <laughs> and, and so I'm trying to justify, well, it's kind of more of a rock song than a country song. And it's about baseball, too, which I like baseball. And then Joe Diffie comes out with that stupid song, John Deere Green. And I'm sitting there singing that one. And I'm like, oh no, what's happening to me? I'm singing country songs now. And then Martina McBride with Independence Day, let freedom ring. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I find myself, I remember the day I'm sitting there and I'm buying my first country album from, it was like BMG where you had the CD clubs you were part of. And I had to pick my 10 free CDs and I picked one of them as a country album. And I'm like, oh gosh, what am I doing? This feels wrong. And so I'm listening to it in my room and my whole family, especially my sister, knows I hate country music. So if she hears me listening to that, I'm going to be in trouble. And so I'm listening to it low and my mom knocks on the door. She's like, Jeremy, what are you doing in there? I'm like, I'm doing drugs, mom. Leave me alone. Go away. <laughs> like I can't let them know that I'm listening to country music. But then eventually it gets to the point of where I just embrace the fact that I like country. And then summer break came and there was a three-month break there and it, it broke the hold that country had over me and now I don't like it again. But something happened inside of me uh, where I went from living one way to being transformed into something different. I went from the anti-country rock guy to like, give me a hat and some boots and let's go square dance. And this is what happened though, is I was constantly exposed to country music and it began to change the way that I think. And when you change the way that you think, you become transformed. Your entire life will change when you change the way that you think. And it's not just like that with country music or you know, a certain type of genre of movies or books or whatever. When you continue to expose yourself to something, it, it changes the way that you think about it. And there's spiritual principles that apply to this as well. Because this is what it says in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what happens is, when we make a decision to follow Jesus, there's a new will, there's new desires inside of us. As we say, God, I want to live a life that makes you happy. I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. I want to live a life that's significant in your kingdom. I want to be used by you to do kingdom things. I want to be used by you to be, you know, your hands and your feet going out to the people around me. I want to live in the freedom and the new life that you've brought me. But the problem is, is that there's a pattern that's already been established in us by the way that we used to live before that. Every single one of us, we're a product of our culture. Our, our culture here, the culture of our time, the culture of the family that you were raised in, these are all things that have set a pattern in your life that have shaped the way that you think and therefore the way that you live. And so what happens is we have new desires of we want to live in a new way, we want to leave the old life behind and we want to live in this newness of what God has called us to but if that pattern, the way that we have been living our life before doesn't change, then you're never going to have a different result inside of your life. You're going to continue to live the same way even though your desire might be for something else and that's going to lead to incredible frustration in your life and it might even lead you to the place of where you give up. Because what happens is it's a discipline for us. 
We think, okay, this is what God's called me to do, so I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. But what happens is you don't actually really want to do that. It's like January 1st. How many of you guys thought January 1st, okay, you know what? The pattern for my life has been eating terrible and living a sedentary lifestyle, but I want to get fit. I want to be healthy. I want to be here for the long run, enjoy long life. Uh, you know, I want to look good, all that stuff. It, in winter, you know, it's coming to a close in about six months. So we've got to get our beach bodies ready <laughs> for the two weeks we can go to the beach here in Michigan. And so some of us, like it goes beyond just the desire to do it. We actually go and buy a gym membership where they make you sign up for three months at first to give you a good deal. And then you go for two weeks. And what's happened is you might have some discipline that keeps you going to the gym for two weeks, but the desire hasn't really changed. You find no delight in what you're doing. The pattern for your life doesn't change. You go there and you work out and you think, I worked out, I get to eat a whole nother pizza today. And so you don't ever see the result. The desire to change your life isn't really there. You just have a desire for an end product that you want. But if the pattern for your life doesn't change, then what happens after a couple weeks, you give up. And you go back to living the same way. That's why I still look the same way I did now as I did January 1st. Because I was all excited about New Year. It's going to be a new me. But you know what? That wasn't actually what I wanted. Because even though the discipline was there, uh, it didn't ever turn into a delight for me. And the people that you see that are gym rats and they're in great shape, it's not always that they enjoy what they're doing and what they're eating. I don't think anybody ever gets to the point where you're like, oh man, I love tofu. This stuff is just so good. I would way rather eat a mushroom than a steak. But they delight in the result that they're getting. And that delight fuels the discipline, which leads then to the transformation inside of them. So if you want to get to the point of where you're actually able to live a life that's pleasing to God and takes hold of the fullness of everything that he's called you to, then you have to go from just having it be a discipline inside of your life to being a desire inside of your heart that brings you delight. And that's when you're going to be able to have the perseverance to stick with it. That's when you're going to really find the power that you need from God to live a new way. That's when you're finally going to be able to break the pattern of how you used to live before to be able to walk into something new. Because that's God's call on us. He says, leave the old pattern behind so that you can be transformed. But how is it that he says that we're transformed? By the renewing of our minds. We have to change the way that we think so that we can change the way that we live and eventually find delight and desire in the disciplines that we've developed. So how do we do that? It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So what it's saying is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you want to have your mind renewed, the way that we do that is we take the words that God has spoken, we take the truth that he's revealed to us, and we put that inside of our life. Just like the constant exposure to country music changed the way that I thought about it, a constant exposure to the word of God will begin to change the way that we see and view ourselves and the world that's around us. Everything changes when you allow the word of God to dwell inside of you. And that word dwell means to live inside of. It means to inhabit. You let the word of God inhabit your heart. You let it live inside of you. And in fact, you guys, any of you guys tea fanatics or aficionados or anything like that? There was this guy, an Iranian guy that had this cafe I used to go to. And he'd always tell me, he's like, oh, you don't want coffee. You want tea. Coffee, that's for the poor people. Tea is for the middle class. I was like, 
All right, what, are the, what does the upper class drink? He goes, I don't know, we didn't have that there. <laughs> all right. <laughs> like, all right. And so this is, what, this is what would happen. You would get our tea, right? And it, it's not tea right now. Right now what I have is some lukewarm water at best because I filled it up a while ago. So hopefully this works. And I have the tea here. But for me to make this become tea, I have to put this inside of the water and allow it to dwell in there. So what happens if I just do this? Okay, there we go, I'm done. That is not tea. It doesn't look like tea. It doesn't smell like tea. It's not tea. And that's what happens a lot of times. We say, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want my life to change. So here we go, and we're done. (laughs) And then we're disappointed with the result. And sometimes you think, when you make that decision to follow Jesus, that's such an important, and that's the start of the whole process. That's not the end of the life that God has called you to. That's the beginning of it. Jesus, I want to leave the old life behind because where it was getting me wasn't where I wanted to be. The old way wasn't working. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to follow after you. I want you to transform me because, Jesus, I don't want to look like me anymore. I want to look like you. And so that's that first thing. Oh, my teeth, the satchel fell in there. It's ruining everything. So that's that first thing. That's that first dip. And you might be a Christian at that point, but that's not the fullness of what God has called you to. That's not the fullness. And so what you have to do is you have to continue to allow that. We have to put that word of God inside of you. Let it dwell inside of there. Let it live inside of your heart. And over time, the color begins to change. It begins to go from water into tea. So if you want to live out that life that Jesus has called you to, if you want to have a renewing of your mind so that you can be transformed and no longer live according to the old pattern of the world, but live according to the pattern of God's life for you, so that you can get to the point of where you can test and approve of and say God's will, it really is good. I am pleased in following God's will. It means that we're going to have to let his word dwell, live, inhabit our hearts. And so here's some real simple ways of how you can do that because this isn't something that happens overnight. It's something that is a process. It's called sanctification where over time God begins to shape you so that you look more like him. Hopefully every day I look more like Jesus than I did the day before. And someday when I finally pass from this earth and I come into the fullness of heaven, then I will be completely changed and transformed. But until then, God has still called me to live out in the fullness of what he's put for me here on earth right now. And so if I want to look like Jesus, I want my mind to be transformed and renewed. Here's some really easy ways that we can do that. Here's how we let the word of God dwell in us richly. Is number one, get a translation that you like. Now, one of the things that I hear so many times from people, especially people that are new to church, they'll come in and say, hey, I want to read the Bible, but I just don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. I really don't like reading the Bible. And first question I always say is, what translation are you reading? And usually the answer they give me is, I'm reading the King James Bible. Now listen, there is nothing wrong with the King James Version of the Bible. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's not a lesser Bible. It's not as good of a Bible. But here's the thing. It was translated in the year 1611, into the common language of the people in 1611. Culture has changed since then. The way that we talk is a lot different than the way that they talked then. If we gave them a a modern translation now back then, they'd be like, what are these words? These things haven't even been invented yet that you're trying to tell me about. But sometimes what happens is there's a group of people thinking, you know, it's King James only. It's the only true Bible. 
And it's like, no, that's not it at all. That's not what this is about. Jesus wasn't an Englishman from 1611. He did not speak like that. So here's what happens. We get the King James Bible. You guys are all familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. If you've ever been to a wedding in your entire life, this is the one that is always used. And it says this in the King James Version. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. I don't even know what that means. It is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh not evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. This is just cruel for me because I had problems with my THs as a kid. I had to go to speech therapy. So I, I couldn't even read this Bible when I was a kid. And a lot of people read this and they say, I have absolutely no idea what's going on here. It's distracting for me. Even if I can figure out what it's saying, it's just distracting because it's a way that we don't talk today. So I'd say that if that doesn't speak to you, then try another translation of the Bible. Here's that same verse in the NIV, which uh, I think this is from the 1984 NIV. And it says this, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Is that easier to understand? Yeah. Yeah, why? Because it was, this was written in 1984. It's saying the same thing as what the King James said. You, when you look, it's like, yeah, it's not saying anything different. It's not it's like, love stealeth from other people. It's saying the same things. It's just in a modern translation. And then the New Living Translation is an even different, a little more modern than that yet. And it says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but never gives up never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love never ends. And I realize now I skipped a line, but you guys get the idea. So this is what happens when people come to me. I recommend get a translation that speaks to you because if King James does not speak to you, but that's the Bible that's been in your family for the last 400 years, you'll get bogged down by it. So get a version that speaks to you. So a lot of times the two that I read the most are the English Standard Version and the New Living Translation. I read both of those every day, and those ones just really speak to me. Uh, if you need a translation of the Bible, I encourage you, try the NLT. If you don't have a Bible or one that isn't speaking to you, stop by the information table on your way out. We have NLTs for you. Uh, we run out of them all the time, so if we run out, my apologies, we'll get some more for you. But I encourage you, the first step in letting the Word of God dwell inside of you is getting to the point of where you have a Bible that you can read and understand without just becoming frustrated at all the th in it. I love, and there's the message, this isn't a translation, it's a prayer phrase, and I love it. It says, love doesn't have a swollen up head. <laughs> I love that. Find something that speaks to you. And then the second thing you need to do is some of you guys, you need to get a study Bible. And this is the next step up. Is, um, when you're reading through the Bible, there's a lot of times where you're thinking, what on earth is this verse talking about? 
I do that a lot. I have tons and tons and tons of study courses. And, and you know, that's what my classes were in in school and all that stuff was understanding the Bible. But one of the things that made the biggest difference in my life where I went from, okay, I have to read the Bible to, oh, wow, I'm really excited every day to be able to read the Bible. And it's speaking to me. It's changing my life. was my junior summer in high school. I was at Barnes & Noble's because my friend was picking up a new Harry Potter book or something. So I was going like, to show him, I'm just going to get a new Bible, you know, just being that guy. And they had an NLT life application study Bible. And I thought, hey, it's on sale. I'm going to check this one out. And I remember going home, and on every verse, there'd be like one or two sentences on the bottom. This just brought some clarity to saying, this is what that verse is talking about. And so what happened was, like, I'd read, it took me a lot longer to read. I was trying to read because I'm reading all the notes on the bottom, but it made the Bible come alive to me. Because so many of the questions that I had about it, so many things that I didn't understand, so many things that I just missed about it, they, they revealed these things to me. So I encourage you guys, go out there, get yourself a study Bible. Uh, the Life Application Bible is a great one that just really helps you understand how does the scripture now apply to my life and what I'm going through. Or another one is Jack Hayford has one called the Spirit-Filled Bible or Spirit-Filled Life Bible. I forget what it's called, but that's another great one. Or if you're into leadership stuff, John Maxwell has one where it's talking about all the leadership principles in the Bible. You know, whatever it is you're going through, what kind of God's speaking to you, I encourage you, go out there, get yourself a study of Bible. It will really help bring some clarity and help you understand what it is that God is saying to you. And then the third thing is go to church. I know this one seems really simple and easy, and you guys know that because you're actually here today, uh, but the average church attender goes to church 12 times a year. That's the standard for the church in America. What happens is, I mean, some of the most incredible moments in my life are when I've been in church and I hear someone teaching, and hopefully that happens every now and then for you guys, where it's like, oh, wow, that's what that verse means, and it brings that verse to life to you. And when you're gathered with the community, because Christianity is something that we individually make a decision to follow Jesus, but you don't follow him individually. You follow him in a community of people. Because God didn't make us to live and to exist on our own. When God said it wasn't good that Adam was alone, it didn't just mean that he needed a wife. It meant that he's not good being by himself. You can't walk into the fullness of what God's called you to do with your life on your own because God didn't call you just to be you know, like set apart and holy and pure, not defiled by the world around you. He called you to go into the world and to demonstrate the love of Jesus to those that are around you. You can't demonstrate the love of Jesus to people around you if there's nobody that's around you. And you need encouragement. Living out the life God's called you to is a hard thing. It's not something that you do on your own. You need other people that come around you and say, you can do this. What God's called you to is incredible. They're going to encourage you and help you to walk into the fullness of those things. Uh, they're going to, I mean, just when we worship together. Oh, man, I love worshiping together. I love worshiping on my own. I can sing as loud as I want. Nobody's going to give me funny looks or anything like that. But when I gather together with my brothers and sisters and our family, there's a new level of the presence of God that I find. That's why Paul talks about, let the word of God dwell richly in you. He's talking about through teachings, through encouragement, admonishment, through singing songs together. It's a part of what God does in us. Every time that I leave church, I'm like, oh man, I'm so glad that I went. Oh, it was such a good encounter that I had with God. I have more full of an understanding of God and his love for me and what he's called me to do. I've, I've put down some truth inside of my heart now that's gonna bear fruit inside of my life. 
But then what happens for many people is this is the kiss of death, we call it here, the leadership team. Someone that's new, they come and say, oh my gosh, I love Radiant Church. This is incredible. I love the teaching, the worship, the kids' ministry. Everybody's so friendly. I'll, I, I'm going to be here like every week. And well, they please don't say that. Because when they say that, they never come back. Because <laughs> what happens is that alarm clock goes off the next week and you're like, oh, the only thing I want in all of this world right now is sleep. And then the next week, the alarm goes off and you're like, oh, I still just want sleep. And I understand it. I want sleep too. But every time that I come here and I'm with all of you and we encounter God together, it's putting that satchel inside of my heart and it begins to shape me and transform me and change me into the image of God. You can't do that on your own. You need a community of people. You need to come to church. Not because it's, uh, you know, just a unity even, but we need you here. Our church is better when you're here. Because there are unique, beautiful gifts and personalities that God has put inside of you that make Radiant Church more beautiful. It's a mutually beneficial thing. You benefit when you come because you encounter God and people encourage you, and we benefit because you're able to make Radiant Church more beautiful and you're able to encourage other people and help them live out their gifts and all of the other things that God's put inside of them. So go to church. And then number four is memorize it. Have you guys been reading through scripture and you come across something and you're like, wow, this does not match up with my life whatsoever. Even this week, I was reading in Matthew in our reading plan that we're all doing and it was where Jesus was talking about the parable of the, the guy who owed millions of dollars and he, called, he was called in to give account for it, say, hey, you need to pay up. And he's like, I don't have it. Please have mercy on me. And so the master forgives him. And then he goes out and he finds someone that owes him a couple thousand dollars. He says, hey, pay up right now. And the guy's like, I don't have the money. You know, I can't do anything about it. And the guy actually throws him in jail and says, you're going to stay here until you pay me back everything you owe me. And the injustice of that, you've just been forgiven millions of dollars and you're holding someone accountable for the couple thousand dollars that they owe you. And this is the really brutal part of this parable that Jesus told. Because he says, then the king hears about this, what this guy has done, and he calls him in. He says, how on earth is it that I can show you this kind of mercy and forgive you of the huge debt that you have, but you don't forgive someone else of the tiny debt that they have to you? He says, I'm going to throw you in jail and you're going to be tortured. And Jesus says, so it will be for any of you who doesn't forgive your brother or sister. That's brutal. That doesn't match up with my life. Because here's what happens. As I look at other people, like, you've offended me. I've been wronged by you. How could you? Do you know who I am? I'm Jeremy Brown. You're like, who? <laughs> now I'm even more offended. You don't even know me. But this is a thing. I've been forgiven of sinning against the king of heaven. I deserve death for that. And then when someone wrongs me in something small, I get so upset about it. And I don't want to forgive them because they've wronged me and they haven't asked for forgiveness. They haven't apologized. They haven't made it right. But Jesus says that when I do that, that I'm going to be thrown into prison and tortured. You know what that means? Unforgiveness inside of your heart holds you prisoner. And when you live with unforgiveness inside of your heart, it tortures you. It doesn't affect the other person. Unforgiveness affects you. And so this week, reading, I was like, God, my life doesn't match up to this. And so what I did was I wrote that down on a little index card. So I want to remember that. 
because my life needs to change so that my life can match up to the truth that God has revealed to me. And there are a lot of other verses that I come across. It's like, I need to, I need to memorize this one. It's more than I just need to read it, but like, I need to really let this one dwell inside of my heart so that my, the way that I think can be changed. And so I try to memorize scripture. The ones that I'm reading that really speak to me and encourage me, I want to memorize those ones. And the ones where it's like, my life does not look like this, I need to change, I want to memorize those hard ones as well. Not to clobber other people with, that's not what the Bible's for, so that I can be changed by it. And then here's the last thing, is we have to use it. Ephesians chapter 6 it talks about the full armor of God that if we want to go into and like persevere in life and in the calling God's put on us, we have to armor up with what God has given us. But there's one thing in there that's an offensive weapon and it says this in Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The way that we wage war, the way that we do battle is through the word that God has spoken to us. This is the way that Jesus did it. And again, we don't go out there with our Bibles like, take this heathen, swinging it around and beating people over the head with it. That's not what it is. The enemy is never people. The enemy is Satan. People, they're God's sons and daughters. They're the people that are living in bondage. They're the people that Jesus laid his life down for to bring freedom to them. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. So when we start taking our sword and using it to attack other people, we're doing it wrong. But when you use that as a way that you wage war in the spiritual, that's the way God's called us to do it. And this is what Jesus did. It says in Matthew 4, chapters 1 through 4, he's gone out to be tempted by Satan. It says, And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So what Satan's trying to do is get him to break his fast. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the way that every time Satan tempted Jesus and tried to get him to go against God's will for his life, he kept saying, no, this is what the word of God says. This is the truth that I'm going to live by. And we need to be able to do that too. And that's why it's so important that you start memorizing the scripture. Jesus wasn't like, oh, should I do this? Let me flip through the whole Bible really quick and read the whole thing and see if this is good or not. He knew already. He had that memorized. He knew that we don't live on bread alone, but our life is found on every word of God. And so he was able to war against Satan because he knew what it was that God had spoken to him and he let the word of God dwell deep inside of his heart. If we want to live a life that looks like Jesus, then it starts with allowing the words of Jesus to get inside of our hearts to change the way that we think. And so here's what I've done. When I feel unqualified to do what it is that God's called me to do, I recount the words of Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I'm dealing with fear in a certain situation, I remember that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When I'm worried about fear again, it's if God is for us, then who can be against us? I remember greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. I begin to remind myself of what it is that God has spoken. It's changed the way that I think because I've allowed it to become life inside of me. When I'm worried about unity, 
when I'm feeling offended by someone, I remember when I was just talking about that parable, but I also remember Paul said, you know what? Why not rather be wronged to preserve unity in the body? So that's what happens. I don't need people to ask, say, apologize to me or forgive me. I just choose to forgive because what's more important to me is that there's unity between us. That's so much more important than being right or being wrong. Or when I'm sick and all the stuff that I was going through this last year, I remember it's by the stripes that Jesus bore that I'm healed. Allowing the word of God to sink inside of your heart, allowing it to dwell inside of you will change the way that you think. And when you change the way you think, your life will be transformed. You will be a new person and you will be able to live out the fullness of everything that God's called you to do. So here's the vision. What if we were able to do that? What if your mind was so changed by the word of God and what he spoke that we were able to live out the life that he's called us to? That we weren't consumed with fear, with restlessness, with purposelessness, with hopelessness, with all of the other things, but we were able to live with peace. We were able to live with love for one another. We were able to live with confidence in the things that God's called us to do. We were able to live as a sacrifice saying, God, the point and the purpose of my life isn't to, to do things for me, but it's to lay myself down so that others can encounter you. My life is for you, for your glory, and for serving the people that you've placed around me. What kind of difference would that make in your family, in your workplace, in this city, in our schools, in our workplaces? The entire world would change if we could just really take hold of this one thing and allow it to happen inside of us. If that word of God could dwell deeply and richly inside of us, we would be a changed people. We would leave the old pattern behind and walk into the fullness of the new life that God has called us to. So this is how it happens. This is the plan going forward. This is a challenge for you guys this week. If you don't have one already, get yourself a Bible. Get one that speaks to you. And then join up in our reading plan. If you guys are new, uh, we have a 24-week reading plan we're doing, going through the New Testament. It's about one, two chapters a day. Super duper easy way to do it. Uh, if you stopped doing it, then just join back in. Don't even try to catch it up. Just pick up where you left off. Journal it out. Like last week we were talking about the soap journaling. Journal the Bible. Get yourself a study Bible. Whatever it takes, memorize some scripture. If you memorize one verse a week, which isn't that hard, that's 52 verses in a year that you could have down. 520 verses in a decade. That's a lot of scripture. Imagine how different your life would be. Because if you started doing all of those things and you started using the word of God, then you know what? You're not water anymore. You're tea. You've changed. Over time, you didn't even know what's happening, but the rest of the world now looks at you and they see something different. And the taste of you, the smell of you, the look of you, you look like Jesus now. And the, all the rest of the world looks at you and they see Jesus too. You guys ready to do that? All right, would you stand and pray with me this morning? Let's just come before God. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you speak to us. You said that we hear your voice. So God, this morning, would you speak to us about this? What is it that you've called us to do? How will we need to do to allow your word to dwell richly inside of us so that we can be transformed? So that following you goes from just a discipline to a delight.
maybe for some of you this morning, is that you need to make that decision, that word that's dwelling inside of you, is that Jesus has called you to follow him. And you want to make that decision to say, God, I want to leave the old life behind and I want to walk into the fullness of what you've called me to. And this is what you need to know and this is what keeps so many people from getting started is they think, the things that I've done, there's guilt, there's shame that's attached to it. I'm not ready to, to come to you because I'm just not right yet. What you need to know is that Jesus looked down on you knowing every sin, knowing every way that you would ever rebel against him, everything that would ever, every hurt that you would ever cause and every hurt that would ever be done to you. And in his compassion, his mercy, and his love for you, he came and he went to the cross. He died for our sins, was buried in the grave, and he rose back to life so that we can have new life ourselves. And in doing that, he removed all of that sin, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation from you so that without you having to do anything at all, now you are accepted in the eyes of God. You now have the righteousness of Christ. You don't have to do anything. God loves you right where you are right now. And he loves you so much that he wants to take you somewhere. He'll, he accepts you where you are, but he's made a new life available to you so that you can break out of the life you've been living and live an entirely new life filled with his spirit, making you into the very image of Christ himself. And if that's you this morning and that's what you want, then this is all it takes. It says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. So I encourage you right where you're at. Maybe this is that first step for you. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I admit that I need you. I ask that you would forgive my sins. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to have relationship with you. I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to fill me. And Jesus, I choose from this day forward to follow you. Would you strengthen me so that I can live the life you've called me to? Would you speak to me so that I can hear you in the things that you've called me to do? Jesus, would you encourage me along the way? Jesus, would you make your words come alive to me as I let them dwell inside of my heart? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.